Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to the podcast, which has been described as our listeners as amusing and insightful, according to one reviewer named Luke Hicks. I love it. Says these guys do a great job of providing useful insights and distilling complex data into simpler, understandable information, all relevant to Canadian investors while still being amusing enough to listen to and keeping your attention. I honestly didn't know we were that amusing. So this is, I'm really grateful to hear this. It's my go-to podcast for anything pertaining to Canadian real estate. And it is a great length to give you everything you need without occupying hours of time. Thanks, Nick and Dan, for providing this great podcast and aiding so many people in their successes. You are welcome. And thank you for the support. My name is Daniel Foch. And I'm Nick Hill. And we are both real estate investors, professionals, and lucky enough to be the hosts of Canada's number one real estate podcast. And today we are talking about construction costs. In today's environment, there are numerous obstacles to commercial real estate development opportunities. And within commercial real estate, I'm talking multifamily and larger multifamily as well. And these obstacles include escalated borrowing rates, stricter banking regulations, increasing insurance costs, geopolitical risks, different policy changes, just to name a few. And additionally, a significant constraint to development is the rising cost of construction and construction materials. This upward trend in construction spending can be attributed to various factors. You've probably heard us mention some of them on the show before. Inflation, labor expenses, higher insurance, material costs, and even the ridiculous expenses associated with getting a permit. Now, as the cost of construction continues to rise, developers are faced with the challenge of delivering high quality buildings on schedule and within budget. Now to preface, let's just remember a couple of things. So number one, we have a massive housing shortage by millions of units and projected to be up to 4 million units by 2030, according to CMHC, which is Canada's housing ministry. We have a massive skilled trade shortage. Example, only 455 skilled trades came out of the 500,000 new immigrants last year. So we talked pretty small percent. 0.01% or yeah, less, was it? I think 0.03, <laughs> but yeah, it was hey. not good. And then I think 3% of uh, temporary foreign workers work in construction, whereas 8% of the general population works in construction. Mm-hmm. So obviously a mismatch there as well. And deals aren't penciling out due to construction and materials, uh, like material costs are way up. So on the on the purchase side, developers can't build new units because there's not people lining up to buy them. And on the rental side, and a lot a lot of those projects can't just switch to rental because they don't rent for high enough to substantiate the per square foot construction costs. Remember, Urbanation came out with that report that said 50% of condo owners were losing money on those deals. So mm. or on, when they were buying those units. And so in the absence of all of those condo owners lining up to be cash flow negative uh, in hopes of getting capital appreciation, where do we go from here? Great question. Well, we don't know, but we are here to talk about it and explore as we always are. Now, it's obviously worse in some areas of the country than others, but 
construction costs have risen dramatically in Toronto over the past couple of years. And uh, we're going to look at a new global ranking that shows just how bad it's gotten here. Yeah. So this is a, a service that is a price comparison service from fellow Commonwealth housing crisis country that might have an understanding of this kind of thing called Compare the Market in Australia. And they use data from construction tenders to calculate the cost of building materials in various global cities and found that costs in Toronto spiked 40% between January 2020 and August 2023. PH Floor on Twitter, who does- Friend of the show. Great friend of the show, helps us a lot with the newsletter and charts and stuff like that. We're going to be revamping the newsletter a little bit, by the way, and making it like very show focused, lots of charts. So we'll probably post actually everything I'm going to mention today. On, on today's show, we'll post, we'll give you a visual. So make sure you subscribe to the newsletter, which is linked in the bio, but not not the bio, what do we call it? Show notes. I'm like a, I'm like a 2015 Instagrammer over here. Um, Lincoln bio. Yeah. So, you know, he used StackHand data to show that construction costs are up like 71% since 2015. If you look at like 2015 to 2017, it was like 11%. And then from there, like literally after 2017, it just skyrocketed. So I anyway. Mean, it's, it's insane to yeah. see like... How does anything work if it's gone up? For, I mean, if you're looking at, hey, like the return on investment, 40% in three years. Well, now we're talking. Uh, if you're looking at cost of goods, cost of a commodity, and like absolutely necessary to combat the housing crisis, costs have gone up 40% in three years. And then, you know, possibly up to 70% in the last eight yeah. years. It's not going to work. <laughs> what do we do, right? It's ridiculous. So- Back to let's let's look at this because this this is an illustration of how ridiculous things have gotten here. Toronto ranked second in a study of twenty five cities, only losing to Prague in the Czech Republic, where costs are up forty nine point three percent. So basically up fifty percent. Singapore ranked in third, where building costs were up almost thirty three percent. And let's remember that Singapore is one of the most expensive places to live in the world. So let's look at these top cities for construction costs. And you want to go one for one here? Yeah, let's do it. So number one, Prague, Czech Republic. I guess it says Czechia here. I don't know if the Republic is an outdated terminology. I don't know. Yikes. Dating myself. I just think hockey, right? Because like, you yeah, know, yeah. Hockey. Well, if we have, I know we have a couple great, great listeners from, from Czech. Czechia. Czechia. So correct us if we are wrong there. Uh, construction costs from pre-pandemic to present day is up almost 50%. 49 point. Toronto, we just said 40.5% increase in construction costs from 2020 to 2023. Singapore, 32.8% increase since the beginning of 20 or since 2020, since pre-pandemic. Auckland, New Zealand, which we did a full episode on, which actually had a similar housing crisis and and really did a different strategy through the pandemic than we did. And if you want to, I can't remember what episode that was, but we had uh, Graham Graham on who provided some great insight actually from New Zealand, developer in Vancouver now. So some really cool stuff there. But Auckland, New Zealand, construction costs drastically up as well, over 30%. And then just behind that, back to Canada, Calgary up 28.5%. And, and, you know, Calgary is often set aside in the context of the housing crisis discussion or was until probably this year or last year as being capable of build, uh, keeping up with their demand, being capable of building really well. They were so the only keeping, ones that could for yeah, a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, and being able to keep construction costs down as a result of not being oversubscribed. And now this has obviously changed quite a bit because everyone ironically flocked there because of housing affordability. 
And uh, now it's just ruined. <laughs> you get, like yep. you're hearing about people being like, oh yeah, it's actually not that affordable in Calgary. Like maybe I just move back. <laughs> Which is, I mean, just ironic, purely ironic. Yeah, horribly ironic, actually. And then from Calgary, you don't hear that. You don't hear Calgary and New York mentioned in the same sentence often. But hey, they except sh- when people are like, "Oh yeah, Calgary, the New York of Canada." Canada. <laughs> yeah. Said by no one ever. Uh, so New York is next on the list at twenty six percent, followed by Washington at twenty, just under twenty five percent. Phoenix twenty three percent. L A twenty three percent, and then all the way back over to New Zealand. 22%. So outside of Czechia and Singapore, it's basically Canada, the USA, and New Zealand that are having the biggest issues with construction costs just skyrocketing. Yeah. So the writer of this report, Compare the Market Report, James McKay, attributes surging construction costs to supply chain challenges hatched during the COVID 19 p- pandemic, which is why they are using 2020 as a baseline. And I think a lot of these indexes kind of use, like I use, um, I, pu- I published it today, the um, SRRA office occupancy index in Toronto. They use same thing, pre-pandemic baseline. So 2019 is your 100%. What's the percentage of that? For sure. I mean, I mean it I makes did, sense. That was a line drawn in the sand. Yes, yeah. yes. Like, there's something happened in history yeah. at that yeah. point in time where you can <laughs> say it before and after, right? Yeah. So, you know, he states that these challenges, these affordability challenges and the supply chain disruptions pose a huge barrier to getting new construction projects, including and especially housing projects in Canada off of the ground in cities across the world. Yeah. Now let's look at what uh, James McKay, again, the writer of this uh, study said specifically about Toronto. He said that the building costs in the city have been steadily increasing since 2018 and the rise of such costs is linked directly to borrowing costs and labor shortages. Yeah. So he, in quotes, construction costs, sorry, construction issues in Toronto from 2020 to 2023 may also relate to how bidding works for construction projects. Toronto doesn't allow open bidding to all constructors and only to a select few, meaning construction prices remain high, McKay adds. It's just funny because you know we're known for, comparative to Australia, we're known for closed bidding on real estate. And they're known for open bidding on real estate. So that's, it's just a fascinating dichotomy because Australia is basically works. warm Canada, right? Yeah. Like warm, funnier Canada, I guess. Yeah. With, with I guess, uh, much more dangerous wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have spiders that, uh, that can kill you. The geese here are, are, are that, mean, yeah. but, uh, geese, but, moose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Calgary, uh, was the only other Canadian city to make the rankings, rankings that we don't necessarily want to be on. And again, construction costs. Uh, in that city are up to almost 30%. Yeah. So although Toronto and Calgary were f- the ones featured in this ranking, the rising cost of raw materials, labor, et cetera, all of the things, I mean, like there's no, like there's nothing that isn't inflationary in, in the, if you're to take the cake of building a house, it's mm. like none of the ingredients have gotten less expensive. And and we'll get to why, because it becomes quite clear, but yeah, yeah. you're right. It's just Inflation built up on inflation, yeah. nailed to inflation, yeah. taped to inflation. Yeah, like I mean, it's... and these are things that really do benefit, or not benefit, but they're very impacted by inflation. This is why we talked about this in the inflation hedge episode, but you know, re- people consider real estate an inflation hedge because everything that goes into making a property, a house, is infl- is super inflationary. And so if you get it at today's value, then 
you can later sell the house when all of those inflation has taken place and you can benefit from that inflation because you you've locked in today's value. And so exactly. um, anyway, the, the, the article goes on to say that it's a, obviously a Canada wide concern and they quote a couple of Canadian economists who present similar data as to why this is taking place. Yeah. So we've got RBC's assistant chief economist, Robert Hogue, who we've quoted a few times in the last 160 plus episodes. And he was assisted by economist Rachel Battaglia. And they explain in their report uh, from this past summer that Canada's residential construction price index has climbed 51% overall since the start of the first quarter in 2020. And they note that the index has been driven up by, in quotes, dramatic jumps in prices of concrete, structural steel, that are up 55 and 53% respectively since Q1 of 2020, and the soaring prices of lumber in 2021 and in 2022. You remember those good old days, Dan? It was like two by fours and toilet paper, baby. That was like Crazy. that was like gold back then. I, mean, I remember contractors literally buying lumber like to stock up because they thought that the prices were going to keep running up. And actually, when that took place, it was pretty much the top for lumber at well, that point. Well, I'm like, I w- you're not a commodities trader. Okay? Yeah, like chill. Like yeah. I was doing a uh, a basement renovation at that point and obviously I needed studs. Yeah. And there, my contractor, literally, he was able to pull a Faber and, and drive somewhere deep into Quebec to, to get some from like a Rona or Home Depot or something there. But like he was telling me that they were actually asking and like checking driver's license and like checking who was one per, buying one two by four per household. Literally, please. like yeah. they were like literally looking at who was buying the stuff and where it was going because they didn't want people driving different places and taking their lumber and then taking it back to another, you know, town or city and building there. So I mean, it got it got crazy. It was what just weird. Time, yeah, that was definitely an interesting time. The. The surge in raw material prices, the article goes on to say, together with ballooning population, has also accelerated increases in the development fees and levies imposed by municipal governments. So governments also want to be a beneficiary of this inflation. And so they, you know, they realize that the market's still willing to pay. And so they just put their hand out and say, hey, may I have some of that? <laughs> More of a fist, it seems, than a hand. It's yeah. like, you don't have a choice here. Give yeah, the and they say money. these fees have surged as much as 30% annually. I think Toronto's went up like was it 54%? And then like just before that, it was up like 101%. I mean, DCs are like the big question mark in Canada right now from my perspective. Been because a hot like, topic well, recently. Well, and every other government I think has really communicated. And this is actually one of my forecasts. And I'm writing this into the course right now because I'm literally writing the location, the, the location uh, slides for the course. And it's like, okay, Canada's right now, like the primary investment thesis in Canadian real estate is we're in a housing crisis. Okay, so we're in a housing crisis. Uh, what do what do we need to do that? We need to be in the business of creating housing to maximize value. How do you you know if you're a business, you're in any other business? Let's say you're not creating housing. Let's say you're creating uh, toys for kids, right? You want to go to a place that's going to allow you to create toys for kids, right? So, and you know any other municipality that's maybe not going to want a plastic factory in their town, you're not going to go there, right? So, municipalities have this really unique opportunity. Where if you're Toronto, as an example, and you're just increasing your development charges by 101% or 54%, <laughs> and there's somewhere else in the GTA that's, you know, like, it's obviously not going to, you know, Mississauga is not going to be Toronto, right? But it's, 
it could be Mississauga and have slightly cheaper development charges, you know, and you're starting to see this with like Vaughn as an example, where like Vaughn, we saw this big acceleration in, in per square foot costs in Vaughn because they were crushing high rise. Like, and all of those buildings in the new Vaughn Metropolitan Center look unreal. Yeah. They're not like developers are incentivized to build there because they like they can design what they want. They don't have a like crazy to, like the downtown design review committees in the city of Toronto. So anyway, go ahead and then I want because I want to. It's just crazy to think that it's crazy to think that developers are building where there's incentives. Yeah, what well, a thought. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, and this is the thing. It's so I I think that municipalities really have an, a unique opportunity where things just aren't penciling from an MLI perspective right now, and like from from CMHC. But if the odd municipality is they don't even have to remove the DCs. They can defer them and add them to the cost structure over time, right? It's like, okay, you can pay them out over 20 years. And now that build is built into the cash flow structure and all of a sudden the project becomes viable mm-hmm. for the developer. And I think whatever municipalities start doing that are going to be the ones that that builders are going to flock to and those they're going to be able to grow as a result of this. And that increases their tax base, which increases what they're able to do from commercial retail services perspective. It's just good overall. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just, that's, yeah. that's just economics yeah. 101. Yeah. And right? so I think in the short term, like it's easy to be like, okay, in the short term, you know, this town is, is not allowing any housing. So if I can build a house there, it's going to be scarce. And so it'll go up in value. And, it, and probably in the short term, you're not wrong because you'll own a scarce asset. But in the, in the long term, that uh, municipality will likely not benefit from having too much scarcity. It will atrophy, right? It won't grow. So mm-hmm. the, the areas that are really, really, really adopting this policy and pushing it, and I would focus your attention on these because there's some really interesting charts. I'll, I'll, we'll bring them up on another episode, but I've been like pulling up, doing a lot of research on this, like fastest building permits in Canada, which we've been through. I think Edmonton's the fastest mm-hmm. um, from building development, et cetera. Anyway, I think that there's uh, a case to be made for investing your energy in the place that's going to allow you to create and deliver value as quickly as possible, which is take a piece of land and convert it to a house. The faster you can do that cycle, the more, the more torque, let's call it, you're going to get, which is the word Chuck loves to use on, on your, like, you know, the more, the more you're able to realize your investment. Like that's. Couldn't agree more. And, and like here, quick example, we're already seeing it with a place like Windsor, for instance, right? Which, which doesn't have development charges and we've seen a ton of investors mm-hmm. flock there. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? There's yeah. an extra 20, 30% yeah. on the table to be realized, yeah. right? I mean, it just makes complete sense. Yeah. And when you're dealing with like a decentralized workplace and, and a, and a com- competition for talent, like businesses will relocate to places where they can, if people can afford to live somewhere, they don't have to charge as high to sell their labor. Right. And so a Windsor all of a sudden becomes a compelling place for businesses to move because there's a cheaper labor pool. And like the way that urban economics works, it's it's like not really not that complicated. You just have to think about like the second order effects. No, what you got to do is you got to go watch Ray Dalio's How the yeah, Economic Machine Works on really YouTube. Is. Spend 35 minutes doing it. It'll be the best 35 minutes you spend this week. I guarantee it. Other than, of course, listening to this podcast at least twice. So going forward uh the expectation unfortunately is that a lot of these costs the labor costs the construction materials etc will escalate further as the country ramps up to uh ramps up their home building to meet the updated supply targets again remembering what you said at the top of the show dan we need between 3.5 and 4 million homes on top of what we're already building by 2030 according to cmhc so more housing starts required to deliver a badly needed expansion in housing but there will be a boost for demand for materials which will put upward pressure on costs once again 
this is the report that I'm referencing by um, by the RBC economists. Continuing to focus on higher density development in very tall structures, for example, will push demand up for cement, potentially straining production capacity limits. And well, the launch of the express entry process for skilled trade newcomers could help grow the construction labor force and bring down the cost of hiring Hogue and Battaglia uh, caution that it remains to be seen if this program or other provincial programs designed to entice people to come in and work in the in construction, work in the trades. Will that curb cost or have a meaningful effect on that issue in any way? So, Dan, tell me a bit more about this express entry system. Yeah, so this is what we're referring to when we're talking about the 455. So only 455 people went through this skilled trades express entry system, although I think they just issued a handful new permits the the government did in this process. But anyway, the government of Canada has introduced a new category-based selection process for its express entry immigration system. It prioritizes immigrants with training in in-demand vocations. The preferred applicants include skilled tradespeople such as carpenters, plumbers, electricians, welders, contractors, and residential and commercial installers. Previously, express entry was used for individuals applying for permanent immigration through the Federal Skilled Worker Program, the Federal Skilled Trades Program, and the Canadian, Canadian Experience Class. However, in June 2022, the federal government amended the Immigration Refugee Protection Act to allow immigrants to be selected based on attributes that align with economic priorities. So, I, I mean, pretty much what we've been talking about on the show and what a lot of people, and this is where I think a lot of people talk about there being a bit of a risk for now all of a sudden you're approving all these units. You have hundreds of thousands of units getting approved because the federal government's going around and asking municipalities to upzone. Now you've just basically moved the bottleneck from planning to construction because now you've got if you're if you're a construction company and now all of a sudden you're the number of people asking you to build their high rise building went from a hundred thousand units to two hundred thousand units now all of a sudden you can charge a lot more because you got to line up out the door and so and that's that's great in theory but if you need you know fifty people or one hundred and fifty people to build those hundred thousand units and you've only got forty five. Yeah. And half of them are retiring soon and you've, you know, your, your ability to build or, or the, the request to build, the need to build just doubled. Well, that's great from one sense, but how the hell do you fill that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you do. So, yeah, so it says the the chosen, I guess this is this is how, this is the answer to the question. Well, I mean, I sure hope so. Yeah, yeah. The, the chosen categories were determined through extensive consultations with provincial and territorial partners, stakeholders and the public, as well as a review of labor market needs, perhaps a little too late. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a theme here. So let's hope we see some action on that side of things. There's massive potential for trades here. We've said it so many times. There's also a ton of money to be made in the trades. And, you know, we've we've mentioned that report from RBC a few times. So I wanted to pull it up and, and kind of go through it a bit more exhaustively. Go look at the highlights and, and kind of summarize some of the stuff that they have in here because it's a really great report. So I'll I'll start us off with the with the summary here. Canada's residential construction price index soared 51% since the start of the pandemic, uh, putting you know way more pressure on the affordability crisis, a shortage of workers, particularly in the skilled trades, right? So these aren't just construction laborers. These are, you know, Red Seal plumbers, concrete guys, like the, the people that have the skills here. They're, we just simply don't have enough of them. Tie that with a supply chain issues with raw materials 
and we've exacerbated that problem. Development charges have also spiked alongside higher material costs and increases in population growth. More housing housing starts are required to deliver a badly needed expansion, but these will boost demand for materials, which puts upward pressure once again. So the bottom line is longer range problems will continue to challenge the efforts to expand Canada's housing stock amid construction supply constraints. Governments will need to keep policy in line with the broader goal of improving housing affordability. Now, Dan, this next piece, I'd I, I love you for, for you to go through it because it touched on you construction. For you to go through it. Okay, okay let's not get it carried right, away cool. here. Um, I was going to say, I love you too, man. Not on the show, dude. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> uh, so this this piece here touches on construction costs and the relationship with CPI. So walk us through this. So construction costs have gone through the roof is what it says. It's a pretty simple heading. It says the cost of building in Canada has reached record highs since the start of the pandemic. It's a big question from my perspective, whether or not we're going to see this come down as we start to see like unemployment ramp up. We're hearing about project cancellations. I was, um, I was actually at my daughter's birthday party over the weekend and two guys in the, in the construction space, like nobody's building anymore. Might be, might have our days reduced to from five to four days a week. Yeah. So, and site super saying, you know, like, like we're this not is building. the stuff we're hearing now in the yeah. midst of like, we need way more housing. Yeah, we need millions yeah. but of if more. It, if you can't make the numbers work, like yeah. what? Pe- nobody's doing this for charity, right? Like the, the yeah. governments aren't even doing it for charity. Everyone's like, oh, the government should be building housing. It's like, okay, cool. Like they aren't though. Yeah. So, you know, and, and they and, and only like, will do it by making yeah. money because they make more money off of a house than anyone else does already. Yeah. And the builders, you know, it's like, it's so funny, right? Uh, Jordan Skrinko is like really, like he's, he's one of my favorite commentators on, on the industry, but someone's like, oh, like realtors are so greedy. Like they're only in it for the money. It's like, like as opposed to everyone else in the world who does their job for free. Like, yeah, my you know, accountant, like, yeah. my accountant like, oh, just loves taxes. Yeah. He, just, he just loves it so much he offers them to do it every year for me for free. Yeah, so it's like, oh, like these developers are so greedy. Like they just, they're just in it for the money. It's like- Yeah, they're really what, greedy what at that 11%. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, well, like, yeah, like, I mean, we could create an alternative financial system where they're not incentivized by money, which is true. Like you could do, like, like you want to you go about that one, give her. But- I'm going to stay in this one where that we have to incentivize these people to be greedy to do their job for money. And is it is it really considered greedy to take a ton of risk to solve a problem is, yes. and and expect a marginal return of between eight and twelve percent on it? Yeah, and then every once in a while, like I literally lose money. Like if people yeah. saw the actual razor thin margins on building, and then like the amount of capital risk that these, like you think when a project gets canceled, like somebody's losing money, millions, right? Yeah. 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 So anyway, be nice to your developer, your friendly neighborhood <laughs> yeah, developer. You know, yeah. <laughs> Stop calling them greedy. So they 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 show a chart here on the um on this RBC report, which is basically residential construction price index. So CPI basically or inflation for the building of a house, which increased by fifty one percent in the time frame, which was twenty eighteen to present day. So a hundred and fifty one if you're indexing it to a hundred, whereas in the, in the same period of time from that, from 2018 to present day, CPI has risen 13%. And so these like key building materials, like you were mentioning in the, in the summary there, structural steel, concrete, et cetera. And a lot of this is because they're oversubscribed. Like there's too many people wanting them. So imagine if we increase that demand unit demand more, but have gone up like 50 over 50%. In since since Q2 or since sorry since 2022, lumber prices we discussed it. We know about this. You wanted to build a deck or even a little Pinterest uh, flower box. You were feeling <laughs> that inflation for sure. 
I mean, garden beds. A lot of people were doing garden beds. COVID, everyone's right? like everyone's, everyone's gardening and, eating from and home, making yeah. sourdough bread. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So population growth, they call out here, which is like, that one's really under siege right now, I would say by a lot of the economists. And I think while well, the government just did some stuff about it, we're going to talk about it in the context of student rentals, I think in an upcoming episode, because that's really, really a shakeup in the student rental investing yeah. space. And there's really no idea of an outcome yet. I mean, at least student rental investors have until probably this time next year to, or, or until next September or kind summer, I guess, when they're re- supposed out, to be releasing. Yeah. But just a quick summary, they capped, capped the number of international students and then the province, so in the province of Ontario, where the housing- Vast majority. And, well, 51% of international students are in Ontario, but the system is the most broken, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um and and oversubscribed um they ontario made it so now the colleges have to provide housing for international students so i promptly um sent an email to every ceo of every college in ontario which if you're a ceo of a college in ontario send me a message back email me respond to my email please and i will help you buy all those student rentals in your town that that's probably the only way out for these anyway it's another episode we'll save i'm getting too excited yeah anyway so Look, construction costs went up way higher than right than cost of everything else. That's the that's the the long and short of it here. So, let's talk about weather, yeah. which is what we do here in Canada. We talk about the weather. Yeah, because <laughs> nice it's day a, outside. It's, eh? yeah. It is sunny today. Finally, first time this Finally, year. Finally, yeah, this must be part of that thirty hours we've gotten of sunlight so far this we're gonna, year. We're gonna get more sun we're today. Doubling that. We, yeah, yeah, seriously. I was like just out for a walk. But you got to be careful with that sun because with sun comes extreme weather conditions in some case and those extreme weather conditions can lead to shutdowns which have impacted raw material supply so huge there was a huge surge in the development industry due to the low rates and the combination of low rates and population growth over the past few years that was then exacerbated by the pandemic and the desire for developers citizen developers real estate investors and just your average citizen to invest and or speculate on real estate. However, despite the high demand for raw materials, production of critical goods declined between 2020 and 2023. So in that same period where the price of those commodities were skyrocketing, they uh, the production was actually going down. So lumber production fell by 11% and lime, no, not the ones you cut up and put in a Corona, lime production, a key input for cement, dropped by 20%. The decrease in lumber supply was due to environmental challenges like heavy rain, flooding, wildfires. Dan, you remember the crazy wildfires we had in the past few years that were like, burning you know half of northern canada well that put a temporary shutdown on a lot of lumber plants and a lot of cement plants in in you know three major markets ontario bc and uh and alberta they were all affected and their cement production went way down yeah and i think when you look at basically the two most major components of construction in Canada. Take a wild guess. Yeah. If you remove wood and cement from the supply chain, it's basically impossible to build a house. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're, I mean, even in 3D printing. Just go printing buy one of those uh, sheds from Amazon or Walmart or whatever yeah, yeah. that they're selling now. Yeah. Maybe shipping, stack some shipping containers. I mean, you could do steel, I suppose, but like you still need cladding. And anyway, well, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't need, there's no point in even trying to innovate here because it's no, just not it's like. never going to happen. You just double yeah. your construction costs. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, yeah, so. So you either build stick frame or 
where you build out of concrete and steel. There is modular, but it obviously it makes up a much smaller market share. Uh, yeah, exactly. And besides these challenges, the construction industry is also facing disruptions in production due to their higher costs, such as fuel and transportation. Additionally, strong demand and shortage of workers have created imbalances in the job market. Labor costs have surged as construction job vacancies rates exceed overall. Since at least Q4 of 2020, construction job vacancies have been higher than overall rates, resulting in a 9.4 increase, uh, 9.4% increase in wages within the sector. That's nearly twice the pace of other industries. So, Dan, we've got a great, very complicated chart here. See if you can explain this one, please. Before, before we do that, I have to let this laugh out because like <laughs> Nick's talking and the, have, have you seen that meme where it's like, <laughs> like nobody and then it's like my printer and then it's like, at, dude, I was at, just going to say, are you, you pranking know, me right now? Trying you know, to like, you know, like at like 4am, it's like, you remember when you had a printer in your room when you were a kid and it's yes. like 4am, like, let me sing you the song of my people. Have you seen that meme? No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's what it just did. Printer just did. I've got a printer beside me here Holy in the studio and uh, mid mid or like the two times I have to print something a year. I don't, I've never seen this thing work it's, or turn on or anything. It just turned on and started beeping and spitting out paper. So if you can hear that, my apologies. You know, we're just, we're just memeing over here. Dan, back to the chart, please. Try okay, to so, take this seriously. So the, yeah. So the chart, I was trying to print this chart here to read it. <laughs> the, it says construction wage growth soars over other industries. Annual change in wages in 2022. So the 20, like measured to 2022 percentages. All other industries, wage growth was 4.6%. Construction, great, great year for you. If you're in construction, you would have seen your wages go up 9.4%. And that's based on Statistics Canada and RBC Economics. So obviously there's some challenges in keeping cost structure down. And the reason the reason that all of these employees can charge more is because there's not enough of them, right? So the, and, the, and something like 20%. Was it twenty percent of the construction workforce is estimated to retire within the next? I thought it was even more yeah, than that. Yeah, it was crazy, like crazy. Maybe it might have been like twenty-eight, like close yeah. to thirty percent, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, Dan, you and I have both spent time on construction sites. I remember back in the day when I was a young, fresh-faced project coordinator, and my job was to coordinate trades on site and. I thought you were going to say coordinate projects. I was like, well, it's very yeah, meta. Complicated. <laughs> yeah. yeah, coordinate the trades on site. And, you know, this is 10 plus years ago. And back then, these guys were all, you know, the, the Red Seal plumbers, the Red Seal HVAC guys, the pipe fitters. The, the These guys were all in there, you know, the, the younger ones would be older than us right now. And the older ones were in their 60s. And, you know, they can't retire because they're getting begged by whoever, you know, whatever company owner, they're like, yeah. you can't well, leave. Bribed. Like, I don't know, have yeah. anyone else. Yeah. Or like, yeah. you've got to train these like six young guys before you leave. But then, you know, you're training these six young guys. It takes a long time to become an expert in, you know, an expert plumber, an expert electrician, right? It's years of earning your red seal, getting your hours. On that note, we got a, we got a response. I didn't message this guy back on Instagram, but remember, like, I think we made a comment that you and I could like GC a fourplex. I'm sorry for the contractors that we offended in that. I, I didn't say <laughs> we could do a good job at it. I said that we could do it. We probably would not deliver it on budget or on um, time or, or on time or properly. It wouldn't <laughs> yeah. pass. But anyway, 
and and the and the point is they're called skilled trades for a reason here, right? So yeah, anyone could do it if it was unskilled yeah. trades, Dan. You and I would yeah. jump right in. Yeah. So and somebody messaged us saying you guys could not do that, and I was like, sit You're in your chairs and correct. talk about yeah, real estate, yeah, yeah. and don't you dare yeah. swing a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you could. You, that hurts. So a little bit. I agree. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, and and sorry for offending you. They weren't actually offended, but um, nice to get put in our place though on, by our. On that note, like it's it's crazy from my perspective. So the one of the the um, property managers that we know both know very well, I connected them with. A, another friend of ours who's actually going to eventually come on the show to talk about construction, especially like small, just small renovations and stuff like that. This guy can quote anything like just you bring in there, he pulls out a tape measure. He knows the cost per square foot of everything, parts and labor. And just, yeah. Like, you know, if you ask like a math wizard, like what's yeah. 17,421 divided by yeah. 56 and they like spit a number and you, know, you don't even know if that's right or not. Yeah. Cause you're like, I need a calculator. He's like that as long as those numbers are measured, like in square feet aside. Squ- yeah. <laughs> if it's like square feet and yeah. dollar amount, boom, there you go. Yeah. So, but anyway, so I, so I connected them and they were trying to figure out on this call, like, what what would the labor cost of just like a handyman in Toronto go for? Because they're bidding on a huge uh, property management contract, and um, it was like, and I texted a buddy to just see if I could get a ballpark number. Who's do it? Who manages one of the biggest? I want to get him on the show too. He manages the biggest deal that was done this year at the end of last year. He manages it, and uh, he texted me back right away. He's like sixty to sixty five bucks an hour. Yeah, yeah, I know. Screw this podcast, I man. I Somebody's going to tell I'm, these old I'm, beauties up in like North yeah. Bay and uh, Cornwall and whatever that uh, they're in the wrong town. They just got to find a house here. But yeah, so anyway, as a result of these things, because we tend to, to ramble, reducing construction costs is obviously not easy. And as a result, reducing affordability or creating housing affordability is not easy. So short-term solutions like reducing home building, resolving production issues at cement plants may provide temporary relief. And so RBC expects a 10% decline in housing starts, which could, I mean, you'll see that reduced material demand as well as labor demand, which yeah. we're, you know, we we're just mentioning it earlier in the episode, some of these high rise um, construction, what did you call yourself? A facilitator or something like that? Project coordinator. Right, right. Sorry. Please. Sorry. Yeah. Have some respect. Yeah. I can only imagine what your LinkedIn profile pic looks like <laughs> at that point. Just me with a hard hat and a bunch of documents <laughs> and plans and a ruler and a tape measure and stuff. The guys loved it. Yeah, for sure. Actually, here's a funny story. I remember I I got my uh, so I was working at Sanofi Pasteur at the time as a Sounds project. Well, it's a, it's a French. I don't know if it's French Canadian or just a French company. Anyway, they make they're they're in like big pharma. They make vaccines and and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was on the capital projects there which means i was in charge of you know we talk about capex and opex so i was in charge of liter not in charge i was on the team managing larger projects there and i remember my uh my supervisor the project manager at the time uh we carpooled a couple days a week and i showed up with my my hard hat and i've been on construction sites for years before this i have a background in construction but fresh hard hats aren't received well on construction sites, especially by the guys that are actually doing the work, the skilled trades. So I went out the night before and uh, threw my hard hat on the ground, scratched it up, uh, got some dirt into the scratches. So it just looked you like would do that. so it looked like I've been around that. for a little. And I, like again, this Come is on, this is Nick that. like fifteen years right. ago. Okay, like early twenties. You're being very vulnerable and admitting that. I'm going right to get now. some serious. There might be some, there's some hate mail coming for me. Yeah. Um, anyways, the best you're part. You're like the guy taking selfies the on the construction site. Like, the, the best part is I, I went in the next day and uh, the guy was like, we just gave you that hard hat. What happened? And I was like, oh my God. 
God. So I was like, oh, I, I dropped it. And then I got called out on site too. And, and one of the other guys kind of found out what I did because I admitted it to my supervisor. Anyways, didn't go over well, but the guys gave me a hard time. And anyways, we patched it up and, and got, got a bunch of great jobs done together. But uh, yeah, there we go. There's a, don't do that if you're, if you're young and entering onto a construction site because they can tell. There you go. Expert advice from Nick Hill. If you're a finance guy who wants to go take <laughs> selfies on a construction site with your hard hat, keep maybe it clean. Just don't do that. If you're a politician who wants to go buy some, uh, don't some do Gucci, that. Uh, work boots and don't do that either. Hat. Yeah, no. <laughs> so look, I mean, efforts have been made to address the worker shortages, but their impact on construction costs remain uncertain. Development fees and levies should align with the goal of improving housing affordability while facilitating municipal growth. Now, there's one last chart here I want you to go over, Dan, and then I want to run through a quick list of Kind of some solutions and some ideas that that we've that we've put together here. Sure. Am I describing this chart or are you? Of course you're describing the chart. So this is housing starts drop to lowest level since the pandemic. So and this is again a function of what we just we've been hearing. And it's funny because you hear like some one minute you hear housing starts are up, one minute you hear housing starts are down. So on a one year moving average, like Toronto is up, but on it like generally um, housing starts are down in, in Canada, this Q1 2023 data now. So I think probably now since this has come out, I think they're starting to normalize a little bit better because MLI Select is really yeah. incentivizing a lot of people to build. But there was a period of time where the build for sale was just fully broken and people couldn't deliver units. So anyway, uh, you just see this line basically drop to about the level that it was at the beginning of the pandemic, I'd say 2020. And so this is obviously a challenge, right? But the, the other challenge, and they mentioned this, is that either you're building a ton and it's inflationary or you're not building and your housing crisis is exacerbated. And so we've changes. really, we've really yeah. messed this one up. Kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place as they say. Okay. So that's it from the reports and from the studies and from the information we pulled. Now, here's some ideas and solutions, and I'm just going to rattle these off quickly, and then we can have a quick, uh, I want to get your thoughts on them quickly, Dan. So the removal of development charges. We've said that multiple times. That's come up on panels that we've spoken on. Uh, that seems to be a nice, easy one, and that can be done municipality by municipality. Changes in zoning. We've started to see that. I want to see more of that. Um, but that also equals, you know, not just zoning, but like, let's get the planning department to push stuff through as fast as possible. Mandates for more trades, right? Like, we have to figure out how to incentivize either young people to get in the trades, the people that are in the trades now to stay in them longer or to train more people before they leave, or we get more trades through our immigration process, which seems to be one of the biggest misses that I've, that I can see in the last couple of years. Right. Which it does seem like they're, they're make they're making steps towards improving. Like again, uh, but is it too little too late at this point? Yeah. Like, I guess I, I guess no, because you'll start filling up, you know, like you'll start getting more people in and gradually those costs should start to normalize. It's just, yeah. Like I don't, I don't, think it's going to solve the problem anytime soon. Like I think, you know, look, if I'm just thinking about this purely from a political perspective, because policy is a really important part in, in real estate investing. If I'm like, I think that the current government is doing the next government a ton of favors, you know, like they're doing things right now with a huge sense of urgency that most people really aren't going to care because they're yeah. not going to realize most people are like, Oh, cool. And like, and it's funny, like you see the sentiment sentiment. I think a lot of people are really just upset with the current government. And so um, they're like, oh yeah, you're just helping out developers, like you know, and it's like, well, yeah, I guess they are, but they have to to get housing built, 
And and now this is going to get housing built. Like we're seeing it. You you and I are both seeing MLI Select is like fully oversubscribed. I can almost guarantee that that extra twenty billion that they that they've put out for it is probably already soaked up, yeah. and they're gonna have to issue another twenty billion. You know, you're seeing again the skilled trades thing. You're seeing things happen to the colleges. All of these are going to have an impact on housing affordability. They're just not going to have an impact on housing affordability today. And if or you if tomorrow. you were a, yeah, and if <laughs> yeah. you were a government who needed to win an election in 2025, that's a bit of a problem. And so I think it's great, and I hope that they keep doing these things. I just don't think that they're solving a problem for themselves. I think that they're they're sol- they're going to most of the policies that they're doing today are going to solve the problem in you know five years, the next couple, of, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. it will look great on. I mean, if they win the election next time, which polling doesn't indicate that they may, then it would it would look good on them for a further uh, election. Then, but yeah, you know. So anyway, I think it's 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 good to see. I do think it's probably too late for that administration to be forgiven for for not uh, not doing this sooner. You know, not I doing think it, you know, five, I, seven I, years I was, ago. You can tell I was really trying to be yeah. diplomatic. There. We, we don't get, have to be. With we politics, don't get political like, on no, the but, show, but, but it's, it's important it's, to think about it just yeah, from like purely, like purely the mechanics of politics. It's exactly. Like, yeah. You know, if X, then Y. And I think that I, I hope that I kind of described it relatively well, but most of these things, like I do think we will be able to achieve housing affordability in Canada within like a decade. Right. But like, and this will be looked back on and, and studied decades from now. And there'll be two other younger versions of us talking about all the crazy stuff that happened back then, referencing the MLI Select program like we referenced the MERB program, maybe. Yeah. Well, that'd be 40 years from now. But yeah. We'll see. But, uh, <laughs> but I think it is the interesting part is like, they're trying and, and, and it's the most important issue right now. Yeah. And, and so there's something to be found in that for, for real estate investors, for our audience to say, okay, you know, and DCs is like the first thing on your list, right? I, you know, again, I keep referencing the course because I'm doing a lot of content for the course right now, but like in creating an investment thesis for the course, if we say, okay, what's the most glaring opportunity to create an investment thesis for real estate in Canada right now? Create housing. Okay. They have a line drawn, right? There's five units plus, which is MLI select. And that's where you get your benefit. You get your benefit by the cheapest credit in the market, the best loan to value in the market, and the longest amortizations in the market if you're using CMHC's MLI select program. If you are using, if you're below four units in a lot of cities, you're getting removed development charges. And what does your removed development charges create for you? Well, like it's a literal arbitrage. It, you know, everyone uses like, and it's funny because I said course and now I'm saying arbitrage, but <laughs> everyone uses this word. It's like Airbnb arbitrage, rental arbitrage, blah, 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 arbitrage. It's like, okay, what is an arbitrage? Let's actually look at the definition. It's simultaneous buying and selling of, of a security or something like a product at different prices. So you get to buy something. And and so you're buying or you're, you're able to build or buy that unit, create that unit for less money than a developer who's building one more unit than you. If they're building five units, they're paying DCs. If you're building four or less units, you're not paying DCs, and and so the developer who's paying DCs is paying what sixty thousand in in the GTA or mm-hmm. like Edmonton who just did it or um, mm-hmm. BC, right? Forty thirty thousand dollars, like thirty. That's a material difference on on four or five units. So for sure, yeah. thirty thousand. So you get a thirty thousand dollar minimum discount up to a hundred thousand dollar discount on your unit, and you're renting it for the same amount of money, if not maybe more. I think we just talked about this on the last episode or one of the last episodes that we recorded, but you're renting them for the same amount of money. One bedroom, if you put a, build a one bedroom unit, you have no DCs, they have DCs. They could be side by side because that's how bad zoning is in most cities in Canada. And and you, you can rent them for the same amount of money, but you just got yours at a, what? Uh, I don't know what that would be on a percentage discount, five, 10% discount. 
Yeah, and and again, that makes that that can be the difference between a project penciling and not it right. Is. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think my closing remark here is this: although Grim presents a lot of opportunities for investors, uh, presents a ton of opportunities for existing builders and developers that have those crews that have access to those skilled trades, and I think overall it presents the most opportunity for investors that are also tradespeople, which uh, we're lucky enough to work with a couple great people like that. And, uh, you know, again, difficult times. We, we This is when opportunity is is found and, and realized. So I think there's a Nick Hill original for that. Tough tough times don't last. Tough people do something like that. So that's a good one. I should yeah. adopt that. Yeah, that is mine actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it. I uh, hope you got a ton of value out of this. Uh, leave us a review, write us an email, correct us on any of the stuff that we've said, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. See you on the next one. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group, license number 10317. Agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.